My name is Eduardo Zanata. I'm Vice President of Operations at the Vida and an MBA graduate of the Harvard Business School. The Latter-day Saint MBA Society was founded by a group of MBA students and alumni who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, with the goal of bringing together a community committed to navigating the business world with our faith at the center of our lives. In this podcast, you'll hear interviews with Latter-day Saint thought leaders that we hope will inspire you, both in your professional and spiritual life. For more information about the Latter-day Saint MBA Society, visit latterdaysaintmba.com. And now I'll pass it over to Kurt Frankham, who will host this week's interview. All right, I'm welcoming in Emily Snyder to the Latter-day Saint MBA podcast. Emily, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here, Kurt. Yeah, you know, and we, we've had some connections uh, offline and various projects and whatnot. And so when your name was suggested for this podcast, I thought, of course, of course, we've got to get Emily <laughs> on the podcast to talk about her uh, unique uh, career path and experience and education journey leading from BYU to Columbia to uh, to Waco and and everything in between, so it'll, it'll be fun. But Emily, if people aren't familiar with you, like, what's your general uh, introduction? Both, you know, I guess just professionally, or uh, what do you tell people? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's taken me a good minute to figure out. Like, somebody actually in January, flying home from a, a cruise, asked me, like, "Well, who are you? Why?" <laughs> I was like, who am I? I don't know. And so yeah. I, I did some homework and I was like, I mean, just boring, but I am a business strategist who thinks about operations and the big picture um, and really cares about the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. Awesome. The end. Nice. Uh, <laughs> so boring. And, and where where were you raised? Um, let's see. How'd I answer that? We I grew up in... Um, Kearns, Utah, so kind of a oh, really? suburb okay. of Salt Lake for a while. Um, born in Cedar City, Hong Kong when I was eight years old, which, as you can imagine, was a very transformational year of my little head and mind. Um, and then California for a number of years. We were there about five years. So my core, like when I say my growing up, California, and then moved to Utah when I was 14. So okay. did high school in Utah? Did high school in Utah. Well, started in California and then came back. Okay. Which was all sorts of traumatic <laughs> seasons <laughs> in and of itself. <laughs> nice. So I'm, I'm just looking for a, a brief overview of maybe your education and career path. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. went to high school in Utah. What high school did you go to? American Fort Cavemen. All right. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Were, were you in the marching band? Or? I was not, but I was on okay. the swim team. <laughs> okay. Good enough. Good enough. Same thing. Same thing. And same. then uh, went to BYU. Went to BYU, did elementary um, education, elementary education. My mom was a teacher. And so that's what I wanted to be. Oh, nice. Nice. And then uh, we're in the, the, did you teach for several years before you decided to go back to college? Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I went on a mission and then I um, taught sixth grade in a low income school in Orem. And then um, do you want the whole kit and caboodle right now? Do I yeah, just, just, just a quick overview. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll go into some of these in more specific. Worked for the Relief Society General Presidency for a couple of years um, with Sister Beck's presidency. Then uh, ended up going out to Boston um, for just because I was done with Utah land and ended up getting to work with Clay Christensen at the Harvard Business School for a number of years. Got my MBA after that at Columbia Business School, Waco, Texas, and then back to Utah. Awesome. Finished finish my awesome. walkabout. <laughs> Nice. And then uh, growing up, I mean, a pretty traditional Latter-day Saint home, would you say? Like uh, faith yeah. promoting? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both my parents um, raised in the church and, um, but yeah, still, I think like most families figured yeah. out their own version of what that looked like and, you know, to improve upon their parents' experiences. And so, nice. yeah. And so always wanted to be an elementary school teacher because of your mom? Um, always wanted to be my mom. Always oh, wanted okay. to be like my mom. And <laughs> okay. because my mom had been a school teacher, then that was like the natural thing and the closest thing to being a mom that I could think of. And so, yeah. yeah. And that's where it led you. And then uh, always, w- when did the desire to serve a mission uh, begin? You know, I, like, I still remember actually in Kearns singing, what's the missionary primary song of, I hope they uh, call me on a mission. Oh, and I yeah. just uh-huh. had such a mental, I was like, I just knew that that's what, even though there weren't conversations very much about girls going on missions, somehow I just saw myself there, but then it took a bit of wrestle when it actually came to decision time. Yeah. Be like, wait, is this really what I'm doing? But nice. so, glad. so when the time came, it was just a no brainer. Um, I'd actually done a study abroad and I saw a missionary in France that did not seem to be enjoying herself. <laughs> and I thought, in France, that may be more understandable right. than other. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but I thought if there was ever a moment that that might be me, I don't ever want that. And so mm. I kind of deleted it off the table that I was like, nope, I don't want to be, if I'm going to go, I want to be cognizant and purposeful that I'm there for a reason and not not have bad days, which is awful to say, but I was just like, I don't want anybody else around me to know that it's been a bad day. Like, I just want to know that I'm here. Yeah. Anyway, so I took it off the table because I was like, no, I know how I have bad days. So that's probably yeah. not a good idea. <laughs> but then, nice. you know, some good emotional and spiritual kicks. And where did you serve? In uh, St. Petersburg, Russia. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. And so... I, I imagine if your experience was anything like mine, I mean, there were bad days that I just hated being a missionary <laughs> and I'm sure that was your experience. So how, how did you take on those days or did you think, all right, here it is. I, I guess I should go home now. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is it. Um, there, I just, I mean, much like we do in our hard moments of realizing, nope, there was a very conscious mental experience that happened of mm-hmm. both spiritual, um, mental, emotional, like, this is, this is where I choose to be right now. Yeah. What sort of influence did your mission have on just your education or career path? Did, did it have any at all? Oh, total, so much. Um, it, it reminded me, much like Hong Kong did for me, it told me that I do big, crazy things and that my life experiences can be bigger than my backyard. And so going to Russia, which was definitely not on my radar and totally threw me for a loop, um, like was a very similar thing. I came home early off my mission. They thought that I had a brain tumor, which I didn't, but it also kind of then created a, I mean, there were so many things because I felt very seen and protected by the Lord and very like certain things happened that I was like, God is very much aware of me. But then a lingering, like, do I give up in hard things? Is that who I am? And so that honestly kind of propelled um, and helped me get through Columbia Business School as a really old candidate <laughs> of feeling like, no, I, as much as I'm like, my gut instinct is to say, I don't do hard things. I gave up. I came home off my admission early. 
but was like, no, I'm made to do hard things. Like yeah. that, that was all purposeful. That wasn't because I'm weak, but, yeah. but it was a, it kind of propelled and maybe in a prideful way of like, no, gosh, darn it. This is a time for me to prove to myself that I can do the hard things. Yeah. And so how, how long uh, were you into your mission when you were sent home? Um, 10 months. Oh, okay. Wow. And so was just, it getting on uh, that plane coming home where you think I'm just going to go get these things sorted out so I can get back to my mission? Um, the pain, so that I had such killer headaches that were pretty mentally crippling. Like I just, mm. they were all consuming. Um, so there was no concept of coming home because I just hurt so bad. So I couldn't even think past like, gotcha. get rid of the pain. Like yeah. how am I going to get rid of this pain? So I didn't even think about it. And when they didn't subside, I was just like, I, somebody had suggested, you know, you signed up to serve 18 months. And so you need to serve 18 months. And I was like, Nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm tapped out. Like <laughs> <laughs> nice. Fine. Then, some people do it for 20, need 24 months. Some people 18, some people need 10 and some people don't need any like, <laughs> <laughs> and then coming home, I mean, I, obviously you were focused on your health. How long before you could actually start looking to the future? Like a, like a human again. Um, yeah. Well, that's where I realized God's really funny. And so about when I was supposed to be coming home from my mission is when we finally, they started subsiding. And I was like, oh, you're funny, God. <laughs> this was all part of my mission experience. <laughs> yeah. And so, and we, so did they, they find a tumor or? No, they um, decided that I'd had um, mono because not because I was kissing anybody <laughs> on my mission, but in public spaces, mono is much more contagious. Um, mono, which triggered um, Epstein-Barr, which cr triggered chronic fatigue. And in the process, you can get some killer, killer headaches. And so the eye clinic up at the University of Utah one of the doctors there was game changing. And after months and months of people telling me, you just need to sleep more. You just need to eat better. And I was like, that's not working. Wow. She was like, you are in so much pain. Cause she finally like looked, had the right machinery to look into things. And she's like, you are in a lot of pain, aren't you? And I just lost it. And was like, uh -huh. finally somebody doesn't think I'm crazy. Yeah. So wow. it all, it kind of all, she changed everything. So well, like, and that's uh, quite the whiplash from, we think it might be a brain tumor too. Oh, actually it's mono. Uh, <laughs> I mean, God bless our, uh, you know, medical providers here. But. Right. Well, in the six months of like, okay, so it's not a tumor, but I can't function. Like everyday life was just so painful. And the idea of being a return missionary who it was painful to read her scriptures felt like, I mean, it, it was, it got bad. It yeah. got really, really bad emotionally. And nice was a really fascinating journey that the Lord yeah. allowed me to travel. And I learned a lot. And then, so you come home and you, are you in the middle of your undergrad studies at this point? Yeah. So I um, took on a minor just so that I could be covered with insurance. And it was great. Mm -hmm. It was um, teaching junior high and was my minor. And then, um, so finished that up and then, yeah, kind of got on the career path and nice. figured out what I was doing. So you started teaching school, sixth grade, and did you think this was this was you for the next forty years? As, as teaching? no, no, because that's not Emily. <laughs> I can't. I met actually with a teacher that first week, and she'd been teaching second grade for twenty years, and I just thought, oh gosh, that could never be me. That I mm. that, but it was wonderful. I had an incredible team that I got to teach with, 
but there came a day that I just, it kind of felt like it was caving in on me. Like the walls were caving in and I was like, okay, I think it's probably time Mm. (laughs) time for something different. And, and things were aligned in such an interesting way that I got to work for sister Beck's presidency, which Mm -hmm. when the option, when the offer came, I was like once in a lifetime. Yep. Yeah. Let's take that. Has there ever been any form of like regret in, in going into elementary education or? Never. In fact, I still kind of identify myself as a teacher first. Oh, nice. And that I try to anchor like, okay, what is the end user's experience? Because I had parents of my students that desperately wanted to be wonderful parents. And they were in situations a lot of times that they couldn't, like they didn't have the capacity or the capabilities or the resources to give to their children they the way they wanted to. It was a low-income school. Mm-hmm. And so I just often think so much of my life of like, what would it be like for so-and-so's mom and dad? What would that look like for so-and-so's mom and dad when I'm thinking about yeah. different experiences? And, and during this time through your undergrad time and then transitioning into a, you know initial career, um, and you're, you know, for those that may not be familiar, you're a single adult, never been mm-hmm. married. And mm-hmm. What was the dynamic like? I mean, because you talk about you want to be like your mom, and I would assume yeah, that yeah. that included your own children, right? And so, yeah. what was that journey like, or uh, during this time? Oh, well, there's a million dollar question. <laughs> no, I mean that's that's how I had identified success. One hundred percent was mm. to be a successful individual, not just in the church per se, but for what I decided success was. Uh, I've talked about it different points, but my mom loves being a mother. And I know that that is a, that is a powerful gift. Cause I know that's not something that every woman that is a mother, that that's their instantaneous love. But for my mom, that is like, she is so satisfied and fulfilled being a full-time mother. And that just was, that's everything that I wanted. And so um, it was definitely a wrestle all of the time um, for a long, well, until there was a really beautiful wake up moment in my thirties, but yeah, juggling ultimately that's who I want to be. I want to be in a spot where I can find men that I would want to marry. Um, probably putting too much emphasis on that and dating and getting engaged to men that mm. were probably not the fit, which has been true. Yeah. <laughs> so thankfully you uh, realize that right. During yeah, the engagement. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and they're the fit for other people, you know, yeah. like, which yeah. I'm, I think the world I think it's always funny when we, I mean, I chose to be with them because there was something good I saw in them. Right. And so anyway, so it was, it was a constant battle for a lot of years. Yeah. And so so, I'm I'm making an assumption here, but um, I would imagine a lot of young professional women in the church um, sometimes have this feeling of like, they're not looking super long-term. They're more of like, you know, I can be a teacher for maybe five years and then definitely, you know, by next spring or in, in two years, I'll definitely be married at that point. And so then I'll, I'll be in those childbearing years and I'll be the mom and then, yeah, I'll, I'll come back. But so it was this feeling of, of it was difficult to really look long-term because you're always sort of anticipating some type oh. of relationship. Kurt, you nailed it. Like okay. 100%. Like my, I remember one time my dad took me on a daddy, daddy daughter date and he's like, okay, let's talk about your five-year plan. And I was like, five-year plan is get married and then I'm going <laughs> to raise Done. babies. Like that's, that's the holy plan period. Um, yeah. And so it was this constant, like, I'm going to do some things that allow me a flexibility. Like these are not my plan A's. These are like filler things. Like I'm just going to do really good things to fill my time until that happens. Um, it wasn't until 
Boston and and the life experience that I was coming home from England on an airplane and I was kind of like, oh, this is it. Like I'm living my life. Like, which I've had little moments, you know, I've had plenty of those building up along the way of like, oh no, no, I, my life doesn't begin with a man. Like I can do things by myself. I can mm-hmm. go to movies and dinners and I definitely owned that mindset of like, I'm not waiting for somebody to live and do the things I want to do. But it evolved to the point where I think I was 35, 36 and was just like, oh no, this is it. Mm. Like this Harvard Business School does an essay oftentimes of like, what are you going to do with your one precious life? And I was like, oh yeah, this is it. Like I'm, I'm own, this is my one precious life. God has given me the car, the ultimate dream car, the car keys, the gas is filled and I'm just sitting in the driveway because I've haven't realized that I'm the driver. <laughs> like, I keep waiting for somebody to tell me and he's like, no, 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 go sweetheart. Like I've given you everything to go. So, yeah. and also realized uh, at a similar point, um, if I got home, if I died in that moment and got home and the Lord was like, okay, Em, what'd you do? Like I gave you all these years that you were the only one to take care of. What did you do with your time? And if I were to say, well, I was, I was waiting. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, Oh, sweetheart. <laughs> we're sending you back. Okay. Back in your body. <laughs> I gave you all those years to do some cool things that, yeah. that only you could do because you didn't have sweet babies and that that's not this time or season. I wanted to see what you were going to do with those years. So that was just, and I know that's just for me. Like that's not a, I don't think that way for anybody else because I believe that God has their own conversations, his conversations with his own children that look so different at times than what mine are. But for me and my day of reckoning, I was like, oh, I've got some things to do and and I have the option to do them. And I'm the, I'm the one that's holding me back. And so I assume that was your sort of that wake up moment on the plane um, mm-hmm. that you made that shift. So was there obvious shifts from that point or were you just sort of in, you know, bought into this life that you were living or what, what were the changes that happened? Yeah. Like, I mean, good night. If anybody knows Clay Christensen or even knows a reputation or a rumor of Clay Christensen, he is all the good. He's everything positive you've ever dreamt of that he could have been. And so I've had some dream bosses and dream opportunities. And, but at that point I realized the, I'd been gifted those and it was time for me to proactively figure out my life. And so it was, okay, do I want to be an assistant for the rest of my life, which is a wonderful, wonderful career option, or do I want to do something different? And then really kind of digging down into like, I've been given some great opportunities. What, what am I going to do with those? And um, which then led to a lot of wrestling. Cause as I said, I was, I was old. I was 38 when I was, had made the decision to get my MBA and that's not typical to do a full-time program. And I also realized at that point, I may be creating a line in the sand of ever truly getting married because that's a, at the point, at that point I was like taking on the debt and that's a, I mean, that's a hard thing in our culture sometimes is to, to have a lot of education. And so it's like, this really could be me making the decision. I'm not going to get married. And, 
And yet I'm going to trust. And it's illogical for my dream success of being a wife and a mother. And, but here we go. Yeah. Cause God does illogical a lot of the time. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I love that. And such a step of faith, right? Where you feel like you're, you are being faithful by waiting when in reality we show faith by stepping into that larger story, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 And saying, okay. And, and it's just been mind blowing and, and feeling like, um, I've realized that God is the master scavenger hunt designer, like at least for me. And that that's how I've learned is I get to one step and I under, and I uncover more of who I am than I ever imagined. And then I get to go to the next step and uncover even more. And I'm just mind blown with his scavenger hunt <laughs> that he's crafted for me, mm. for me to peel back and understand more and more of who he knows I already am and that it's my opportunity to, to figure out. Yeah. Wow. So t- tell me more about that. Uh, just the story of deciding to go to Columbia. Yeah. Um, I was around Harvard business school students like all day, every day, the professors and, you know, dear friends that are remarkable men and women that have changed our nation and multiple nations and, and organizations and they're like you don't need this like you know you can do all these things you want to do without this degree and i said i remember telling one of them in particular i know that and you know that but you can't tell the world that i can do that like mm. you can't come with me everywhere and tell everybody i was like that's <laughs> the point of an mba yeah. is to kind of be this signal which as archaic as it is it's it's the easiest way we can communicate to people that like oh i can do some stuff and that this institution is willing to attach my name to theirs and their name to me. And that they're willing to take a bet on their brand by the life that I'm going to create. Hmm. And so um, I was like, okay, where do I want to go? And where do I do with these experiences that I've had? And what kind of pushes me to the next level of just, I know that I can expand this way and kind of um, horizontally, but I want to expand vertically. And I wanted to see, I wanted to push the barriers of like, where really were my breaking points? And so I thought in my impatient personality, I'm like, let's just do it all at once. <laughs> let's go and see if I can push myself mentally, physically, financially, spiritually, emotionally, like, let's just, let's just knock them all out in one fell swoop. And so Columbia won. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and and they let me in. So, you know, that was a huge <laughs> yeah, that helps. <laughs> <laughs> nice. They let nice. me play. <laughs> and was it a traditional sort of two-year experience there? Then? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. The two years and then um, a summer internship. Nice. So talk to me about just the experience of, you, you said earlier, feeling like an older MBA student uh, amongst your colleagues and whatnot. Was that, was that a distracting dynamic or was it a really big deal? Or once you got there, it was just nobody noticed? Um, I think I probably made it a bigger deal for myself than my classmates made for me. Like mm-hmm. they probably didn't think twice about it, but because I felt like I was an imposter in so many ways, it just added to that concept. So like I naively Harvard business school has a good number of members of our faith that attend. And so I don't know why I didn't do my homework on that one, but I just was like, Oh, I know there's a bunch of members in New York. I just didn't register at Columbia which in a very intense program, those are the people I'm hanging out with. So there was one other member of the church um, and in my program. And 
So that was intimidating. I had done elementary education, as we had said, uh-huh. and yeah. now competing on the bell curve with all of these students that had done business in their undergrad, had worked in business. Like the language was just secondhand to them where I'm like, wait, how do I spell economics? Like, <laughs> what is statistics? What are you even talking about? So I just felt like I was lost so often. And so then being older and not drinking and not having sex and like, and not doing drugs, like everything just kind of felt like it was yet another thing that made me different. But I don't, again, I think that was me that first year Mm. feeling really insecure. And I don't think my classmates would have ever identified it as such. Yeah. Any other uh, dynamic that stands out just as you reflect back on your time uh, in MBA school that uh, Mm -hmm. would be worth mentioning to a Latter-day Saint audience? I think, um, um, I think it was, I remember having a conversation with some of my classmates. We had this thing every Thursday because it's a large group of um, students. We were divided up into smaller groups that we called clusters, different schools, come different things, Harry Potter houses, whatever. (laughs) So we were a cluster of like 75 people. And we, every Thursday would have, it was called Columbia Business School Matters. So we would just kind of gather together and invite people in our cluster to share what mattered most to them. And we had some really beautiful conversations from men and women from all over the world, every different belief system, every different lifestyle, you name it, getting to spend 15 to 30 minutes sharing what mattered most to them in in an emotionally safe environment. And, um, Sorry, if I could do any chapter of my life again, it would be that chapter for those conversations. Um, Finding out that at the end of the day, Matt family is what matters most. Hmm. And no matter what health and um, familial dynamics, like you, I heard all the broken things. And at the end of that conversation, it always came back to their family relationships that mattered the very most to them. And um, the the respect I have, not just for those classmates, but then I think sometimes in my little corner of the world, I've assumed that, that those of us that have the restored gospel and the truth and the depth that we get to have have the corner on so many things. And I mm-hmm. realized very, very quickly that then extended into my time in Waco that I am a fellow learner of the amazingly good people that live in our world. And sure, there are a number of horrific, awful things, but at the end of the day, people want the same safety of heart and want tender, safe, emotional relationships and the goodness I was just, I was just constantly humbled with the goodness of the people that were at school. And did you feel like that? Was it just helpful to be closer connected through the authenticity with that group, uh, you know, academically, or is it just sort of naturally we all want to be closer to the group we we work with or did it have the, what sort of influence did it have on your academic journey at that time? Yeah. um, They became safe people that I could fail with. Like, and realize I stink at this. Like you can do this in your sleep. And so it's wiser for me to say, I'll do something for you. If you'll do this for me, because 
sure, I need to understand the concepts, but if this is a group project, I'm going to win in this part and you're going to win in this part. And that, like, I don't need to be all the things to all the people. And so it created this, this safety net of relying on each other's strengths and weaknesses to actually do some really great work together or practice doing good work together and to deeply appreciate that I don't have to be everything. And in fact, it's not good when I think I need to be everything. Yeah. And I would imagine, I mean, I think to some extent, every college, even undergrad college or business schools and whatnot, there is this sort of group work dynamic. But do you feel like, is this, did Columbia approach it uniquely with this approach or do they help you facilitate some of that authenticity in order to grow closer as a group? Yeah. I mean, there were definitely, so within our, within our first year, we had like small learning teams, which I think happens in a lot of MBA programs. But I think the uniqueness of Columbia was this Columbia Business School Matters conversation that happened every week that we were invited within our little cluster to share what mattered most. And that isn't a unique, that's a thing that I haven't heard of in other schools um, with such a diversity of student body that it was unique, you know, yeah. and that it might have been the some of the only times that those individuals had shared their souls in a certain way, huh. and that 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 was unique and special and sacred for many of them yeah. to be in that space. So it was a routinely weekly experience, and then would they give you a specific question each week, or did it all go back to the, this? What matters most, and yeah. you know, Emily, so you're, it's you're up now. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Like you would sign up if you wanted to. And so, you know, we'd have it scheduled out that like so-and-so was doing it this week and this week. And we'd, you know, just kind of highlight, we would do one or two in an evening and wow. open it up for Q and A and yeah, it was beautiful. Oh, that's awesome. Really cool. And yeah. obviously, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be an official, you know, school program or business school program that uh, people do. Anybody could gather their their squad totally. or whatever and do that right? totally totally yeah. and we had small dinner groups i mean we did a they were very conscientious of creating community mm-hmm. but that one i think more than all of them kind nice. of was the anchor nice yeah. so um and i have your these principles you sent me and well we've probably hit on some already and whatnot but uh tell me real quickly the just the story of uh, getting to waco and i mean everybody i mean you work for chip and joanna Gaines. i mean what <laughs> That's the dream job and you reached it. So how did that uh, come to be? How'd you end up in Waco? Yeah, yeah, no. Well, and it's funny because if you, if you haven't heard of Clay Christensen, you've probably heard of Chip and Joe. And if (laughs) you haven't heard of Chip and Joe, you've probably heard. I mean, it's just so funny that they're kind of the, the pinnacles in their own little worlds. Um, When I was trying to figure out an internship, um, talked to a dear, dear friend um, who was at the Harvard business school as a professor doing a lot of crazy, beautiful cases. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, I don't want to, I don't know how to do this. And she's like, talked me off the ledge. And she just said, own that your career is going to look different from anybody else's and just own it. So who's doing stuff you want to be a part of? And I had, I'd actually randomly have, had been aware of Chip and Joe from their very get go from the first blog post she had posted on design mom, which was like when she was discovered and just kind of watched them. My sister was like, you might be interested in these guys. And so when it came to it, I was like, they have made home and family socially acceptable in a world that doesn't know how to do that anymore. And I was just so intrigued with so many things of like, how are they thinking about millions of people coming to Waco and, and having this goodness, whereas a church community, we have a bunch of people leaving, you know, like, are they conscious of that push pull conversation? And anyway, 
I just, this friend at, at Harvard just reminded me of gracious wiggle in principles of cold calling of how not to be the crazy and not think I'm crazy, but just graciously keep the conversation pushing. And so eventually I showed up, my sister lived in Texas at the time. And so on a spring break, I showed up with cookies from Levain's bakery in New York, which are the cookies of all cookies and (laughs) figured out, I mean, part of my job with clay is I realized I was a detective and had to, you know, (laughs) figure out details that nobody would know and came in handy in this moment. And so dropped off cookies for a couple key people that I'd attempted relationships with or connections with. And somebody got back to me and we had a great conversation. We wept together and it was like, okay, great, (laughs) let's do this. So Got to be there for the summer, and then it was a wonderful summer internship, and then um, was offered to come back at the end of my education. And so uh, you were their chief of staff. Uh, That that was your role, and and that means like if somebody wanted access to them, they had to go through Emily. Is that right? Yeah. Well, (laughs) I mean, we kind of had it. So we had Chip and Joe, and then there was a president, and so I worked very closely with the president for the bulk of my time there. But then I did do a round working directly with Ship and Joe. Um, and yeah, definitely being the gatekeeper, kind of kind of trying different ra- versions of how to protect them, get their lives taken care of and all. So just kind of did a rotation of all the things, kind of like a chief of staff does all the special projects and they just happen to be yeah. big projects. <laughs> nice. And how long did that experience uh, last? And then what led you away, away from that? Yeah. So full time, I was there about two and a half years, um, plus the internship and, um, COVID is this really funny thing that happened (laughs) and, um, Waco, Texas as a single adult female during COVID, it was tricky. tricky. And, um, I think I'd essentially worked myself out of a job. We'd gotten things really stabilized in a different, a lot of different corners, figured out what worked, what didn't work. And so a friend had asked if I'd come and help run her company in Utah that was, um, did interior design and home construction. And she is somebody that I think the world of, and I was like, you're probably the only person in Utah that I'd come home for <laughs> to do something <laughs> with. So it all, it all kind of aligned of like, okay, I'm ready with COVID and, yeah. and life here. And so, so yeah. And, and you came came back to Utah. Uh-huh. Yep, nice, yep. nice. So um, for those that are listening that, I think I went too quickly past your experience with uh, Clay Christensen, but how, how did that opportunity come to be? That was before mm-hmm. business school, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was in my, like, it was a broken engagement and uh, that in Utah, I was, I just broken off an engagement in Utah and was just like, I'm done with this state. Like, get me out of Dodge. <laughs> I felt that a few times in Utah myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I had studied and I had applied at different um, educational master degree programs and had been accepted to Columbia's. And I thought, well, wow, if I can do Columbia, I wonder if there's a spot for me in Harvard. I'd, for some reason, I've always kind of longed for Boston. Uh-huh. And um, so took a took a trip and explored Columbia's Teachers College and then took the Chinatown bus up to Boston and like instantly fell in love with the town as I, as we pulled into, into town and I saw Fenway and just was like, Oh my gosh. So I just fell madly in love and I just packed up my, like, so that's it. I'm doing it. So I, when the school year hit, I was teaching again at the time I finished teaching, 
packed up my bags, didn't have a job, but was like, I'm going to Boston. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. I know I want to be in Boston. And um, different interactions, different connections of people to people and whatever was invited to interview with Clay's at the time assistant. And cause she had been there for a number of years and she was looking for a change. And so we chatted and she said, do you want to work? <laughs> do you want to work for Clay Christensen? And I was like, yeah, I think, I think that would be just great. Thanks. Yeah. And imagine you knew of his, uh, of his background and his reputation going into that or. Um, I knew of him from church life. I actually uh-huh. had no concept who he was business wise, like to the degree um, when I was working with Sister Beck's presidency, he was on a singles committee with Sister Allred. And she would come back from the meetings and be so energized about the things that this Harvard Business School professor was talking about. And being single and thinking a lot about this single experience, I was like, I mean, it was just fueling all of my juices and energy. And I was so intrigued and resonated and was just championing all of his thoughts. And so I, I knew him from that regard of like, oh, whatever this man is thinking about church-wise, I, I'm in. I didn't know he was who he was in the business world. In fact, I started reading one of his books one time and I was like, this is actually really good. <laughs> and he's like, there's others that I'm like, oh, right. Okay. <laughs> we'll get to those one day. <laughs> nice. Nice. And then what, how would you explain just the experience as a whole working for him? And I mean, he's alluded to earlier, but what else stands out? Um, Clay and his wife, um, have a desire that anybody that comes into their life leaves with a new bus ticket, like with a whole new opportunity of destinations because of their time with them. Um, that like, here's your life trajectory, but then when you're with them completely can change courses. And I mean, that's exactly what happened. They, I've, I've, I told them many times that like you guys invited me into tables that I had no permission being at, whether it was a business decision tables or the dinner table, like they invited me. They let me out of seat at those tables that the random girl from Alpine, Utah typically would not have had. And so they allowed me much like on the scavenger hunt conversation, they allowed, they were key players in God showing me more of who I am. And they allowed that to be an opportunity for me to play in. Yeah. What a blessing. Wow. Um, And like you mentioned, that sort of set you on this path towards Columbia, but more with the MBA focus rather than the education focus. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And we've talked a lot about just your, your path and journey and the scavenger hunt you've been on in your first principle here is there's no one set path in life. Any, any principle we haven't touched on around that concept. Yeah. Um, A friend told me, uh, I was thought I was supposed to give a talk about covenants, women of covenants. It was actually women of God. <laughs> okay. So thankfully but, I could switch that really quick, yeah, but yeah. I, did a, I did some good conversations with people like what are covenants mean to you? And, um, and one friend said something so beautifully that just cracked open the idea of covenants in relation to this conversation of paths. But um, she talked about how when she, and I recognized that, this analogy may not work for everybody, but I think those that think a lot about marriage, it works really well. Um, and so she said, when I took, when I got married, I took my husband's name. And with that came in their case, access to his bank account 
and access to his muscles and access to his hobbies, access to his family and his friends and his career path. Like all of a sudden I had access to all that he was and all that he had created and all that he would create for good and for bad, right? Like all the things. Um, and then she compared it to the concept of entering into a covenant relationship with Christ in the same way of like, when I take his name upon me, I get access to his bank account hmm. and I get access to his muscles and I get access to um, his hobbies and his friends and his family and all that he has been, all that he will be, um, which just for whatever reason, just clicked for me in such a powerful way with that. I, I mean, much to kind of the illusion of, okay, this is me and my God and whatever conversations happened between us, I support that. And I, and I really believe that so deeply. And I think in making the opportunity to make covenants and enter into that level of intimacy with, with a God means he will 100% direct my path and he will guide me into the opportunities that help me understand who it is that he sees me to be that I have yet to d discover. And so the way Kurt Frankham is going to figure that out and to see yourself as how God sees you is going to look so different than what it's going to look for me. And same with my sisters and my brother or dear friends, like I just, for whatever growth and for whatever spot and whatever angst or pain or, or sorrows, like God, I truly believe allows us to have our journeys and the power of getting to do it in a covenant just is so beautiful and so efficient. I really like efficiencies. <laughs> Yeah. And so it allows me to to not have to wander so much to to find the power to find who I am and I get to play there so much quicker when I understand the power of that covenant and rely on him in that guiding of the scavenger hunt. Yeah. But well, that's, that's my, but my scavenger hunt was going to look so different than somebody else's. Yeah. Yeah, and that feeds in into your next principle here. I think you've, you've talked about already with this, uh, you know, uncovering the path of the scavenger hunt with uh, divine capacities plus mm -hmm. capabilities. Anything we yeah. haven't touched on there? Yeah, no, yeah, just that. But like, um, Sister Eubank, I think has talked about this, and um, but that God sees me in my most glorified self. He sees me as all that I am eternally, and these this life experience is for me to grow those. I, one of my favorite scriptures is Doctrine and Covenants 111 verse 11. Nice. Because it's so easy <laughs> to remember, <laughs> but it talks about, um, be ye as wise as serpents and yet without sin. And I will order things as quickly as you are able to receive them. And that mindset that I've had, and like, that's just taught me of, as quickly as I'm able to receive is how quickly he will dump it out. And if I don't have a, a bowl large enough to hold it, then they'll spill out. And so the, the bigger and bigger my bowl is to receive all that he has for me means 
I selfishly get more and more and more. But the only way that I know how to expand my bowl to receive is to expand my capabilities and to expand my capacity. And so that then translates into getting an MBA mm-hmm. in a in a spot that just pushed my every limit. And because my whole goal is to just see how big my capacities are and to find my breaking points um, to find out, Oh, that's not my win. (laughs) That's not my superpower. Let's go ahead and let somebody else on that one. And I'm going to rely on them. Well, while I lean into my superpowers, but like what, because I am so selfish. I want to receive all that he will order for my good. And so how big can I get my bowl? Yeah. Wow. That's so encouraging, especially in the context of, you know, higher education and, and reaching, you know, advanced degrees and whatnot that sometimes, yeah, maybe you don't need it. You could go on this career path and maybe it would be fine, but you do need some strategy to, you know, enlarge your bowl there mm-hmm. through uh, capabilities mm-hmm. and whether that's a, you know, that may be a MBA degree or could be something else, but you got to do something to expand that bowl. Right, right. And then I think, and it goes back to the, there's no set path. Like for me at my age and at my season and the things I'd experienced, the MBA was the most efficient thing for me to do mm-hmm. to get to where I wanted to be next. Yeah. That is not the case for everybody and, or finding the right programs or the right situations, but the growing experiences that do that, that's, that's what I think is so magical about being in relationship with the Lord is that he helps us figure that out for the most most bang for the buck. I feel like he's a very efficient God too. Of like, let's kill as many birds with one stone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is efficient, isn't he? So, um, some of these other principles, as far as like superpowers and effort, you know, you sort of mentioned some of those. Anything else about superpowers or or this concept of effort that we haven't touched on? Yeah, I um, at school, the president of Hershey Chocolates came, and that was kind of the first wake up call because a I was very intrigued because I mean he's. It's- Chocolate. He's a man that runs it's like Willy Wonka, like, right? I'm listening. Yeah, like whatever you have to say, I'm in. Um, but he said that. He said, you know, of every 360 review, of every leadership review I will have in my life and never have, it will always say that I'm weak in the same things. Huh. Like that will never go away. So that he realized one time, like, that's never going to win. I'm never going to be great at this. So why am I spending so much of my opportunity and energy on this thing when I am great at this thing let me instead like not dismiss my weaknesses let me like make sure that I've put things in to minimize those but how would I use that energy that I have to expend and really push and lean into what I'm actually masterful at and I've Hmm. had different opportunities and different experiences that have spoken into that more and more and recognizing I believe the scripture of weak things to be made strong. I totally believe that. But I also believe that I am made and wired to be a certain thing for a really important purpose. And so not to be ashamed of that, not to, not to be dismissive of that, but to say, no, 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 that makes me a part of the human family. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a good aha a couple of months ago when I realized I can be so good at something for other people of encouraging them of helping see what they're great at, but I can't do that for me. And I need somebody else to do that for me. And just like, I can't see the back of my hair. I can't tell you <laughs> if my hair looks great in the back. I have to have help with that. Like we're fundamentally created so that we cannot see 
a certain aspect of half of our body. <laughs> like I need people or resources to help me have a full picture. And I think that same mindset in, in the superpowers and the relying on each other, but at the same time, expanding my capacities of like, I can expand and lean into my superpowers of, of what I'm made to be, but I can also depend on people to help me be what I can't be in certain moments. Yeah. And that that's okay. I don't need to feel bad about that. Yeah. So tell me about uh, Hymn 196 and the concept of trust. Yeah. Um, it's too bad that I... Please hold. Hymn okay. <laughs> 196. Oh, Is yeah. One? Jesus runs some humble birth. <laughs> you can pick up and we can edit that, that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. <laughs> Um, I think in the same concept of uh, the vision idea, this is the hymn that talks about Jesus once of humble birth, now in glory comes to earth. Once he suffered grief and pain, now he comes on earth to reign. Um, now the Lord, the great I am, once upon the cross he bowed, now his chariot is the cloud. Just as the whole story of this hymn is a story of this is who the world saw and this is who God actually is mm. and this evolution of um, vision. And just speaking again into that concept of trusting this whole life experience is just that of, it may feel like coming in and being despised, but really clouds of glory. And that, that I feel like the stories and the scriptures and the life of the, of the savior are options and opportunities to that, that that path, even though my version of getting there is going to look different than Kurt's, that evolutionary path is mm -hmm. the same for all of us. And that we may see ourselves at times as the lowest of low or despised or broken. And yet he constantly sees what is to be in this entirety and the more I trust his vision of me or trust his trust in me, the more confidently I can, I can do this journey thing and not be completely out for the count when hard things come. I told my young woman one time that I think I am the master of rejection and disappointment. <laughs> like if I have any skills oh, no. in life... <laughs> I know how to be rejected and disappointed. Well, of like, okay, that's not the spot. And just kind of a bumper car is like, okay, next round, where else? If that's not the spot, then where else is the opening for me to, because I deeply believe that God has success in store for not just me, but for all of his children. And so finding those windows and those opportunities to shine, to find success I think is what, I think that's where he wants us to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love the, I haven't, you know, you sing these hymns over and over and it, but we sometimes fail to take the time to really sit with the words and, and yeah. put them into context rather than, uh, you know, we're just think, thinking about the sacrament right now or whatever, you know? Well, which, I mean, you didn't ask, but ask this, but that is one yeah. of my favorite things about being single is like, mm -hmm. I have fallen in love with getting to be single and not that I wouldn't have, love to be a mother raising children, but I've realized that 
getting to be single has been one of my greatest blessings in figuring out this relationship with my Lord. I have, mm. I have the opportunity to sit during the sacrament and actually listen to the hymns <laughs> because I'm not stressed about kiddos, you know, and yeah. would I trade in a heartbeat at times for sure. But that I have learned, like I think everybody gets to, no matter what their experience looks like, to say this is, there are so many blessings and so many things that I get to have in this space and in this life experience, the way I get to have it. And I've, I've really opened my eyes to realizing just how many of those I have getting to be single. Yeah. I love that. All right. Uh, the last principle here is a word I'm going to have to take my time to say contentedness, right? <laughs> is that a word, Emily? I don't, I don't know. know. It is. It's a scrabble. I'm going to, I'm going to say no, but <laughs> I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Spelling isn't my forte as we realized when I can't spell economics. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about contentedness. Yeah. And just, I think the tricky part that I've had in the years of explorer exploration and realizing and understanding if this is my once precious life and that nobody's going to tell me what my superpowers are, but me and God. And there's a lot of work that goes into that. And there's a lot of discovery and there's a lot of bite-sized pieces along the way to understanding who we are and feeling content in that um, and being patient with that growth and that progress of, of, the Savior's life and him 196, Jesus went from humble birth. I will yeah. now never forget that. <laughs> which <laughs> it is. But that um, of that journey is essential and not to wish and fly past different parts of my journey. Part of Elder Maxwell's talk in 2000, he it's a talk that says, um, content with what you are allotted. And he talks about the size of the stage that the savior played on was the size of the sea of Galilee. And was that it's a very small physical space. And yet on that stage, he had the impact and influence to change the world. And I mean, in a true elder Maxwell way, every sentence is its own sermon and just reminded me of the purpose of each chapter of each season and not to fly by them or wish them gone because I've yet to discover what I wanted to discover or do the things I wanted to do. And I often, 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 because I've realized that Emily Snyder is a very impatient human being. It's one of my superpowers (laughs) Um, to be bridled and reined in. But I go back to this talk so often of finding contentment, contentedness and contentment in the journey and in the scavenger hunt and, um, and the development of who he'd have me be. Awesome. Awesome. Emily, this has been uh, so fascinating to just explore different lessons and concepts that you've learned during your professional and spiritual journey. Um, what, what, uh, what are you doing now? Like what's your, what's got you excited about life yeah. right now? Yeah. Um, great question. I, um, so I get to consult. Um, I have my own little consulting company, and so get to play with a couple different companies, um, just helping them dream big and figuring out like, what are they doing and why? And kind of some of these same elements of like, what's your unique superpower as a organization? What do you bring and do in the market that nobody else can do? 
because of the resources and priorities that you have created as an organization, what is it that uniquely is yours? Um, but then I also get to do some of those conversations at the church headquarters in the priesthood and family department. The title is a senior product manager. If anybody listening That's knows awesome. what that is, let me know. <laughs> All I know is they let me come and hang out and have some good yeah. conversations. So. I think whatever it is, you need a cape. I think like a superhero. Yes. So see if okay, you can great. get them to give you a cape. Okay, I'm on it. <laughs> Nice. We'll work on that. Nice. Well, that's, that's awesome. And, um, I, I guess the final question I have, as I typically ask is imagine yourself in a room full of, you know, MBA students or young professionals or Latter-day Saints, uh, individuals who are striving to establish a professional career while, you know, holding tightly onto their faith. What final encouragement would you give to that group of individuals? Hmm. That um, I truly, truly believe that God has has a great adventure in store for each one of us. And whether it's an MBA program, whether it's not the invitation to expand and to discover that for ourselves in journey with Him and in covenant relationship with Him, is probably the greatest opportunity that we as members of the church get to have the rest of the world may know of him and we're invited to truly be in a covenant relationship with him for and and rely on all that he has as a god to help us uncover and discover who he knows we are and for not just the selfish okay i know who i am but for the so that we then can be called upon to usher in the second coming that we can do whatever it is that we're needed to do to prepare the world in any spot that we feel nudged or called to be in to do just that and prepare the world for his coming. Thank you for listening to the Latter-day Saint MBA podcast. Check out the show notes for more information about our guest and visit latterdaysaintmba.com to find details about the Latter-day Saint MBA Society.